Discover community. Find hope and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. So I was with my family the other night, uh, actually Bonnie and our grandkids, and we were at P- uh, Pizza Ranch. We were at Pizza Ranch. This is not a commercial. Uh, and we, we would take the grandkids to Pizza Ranch. And uh, it, just two quick stories. One, I was in line, and this random guy shouts from the back behind me. He said, I suppose you're a pastor. You're getting free dinner. Would you come on? I don't get all my dinner free, but I was using a gift card from somebody. Uh, <laughs> he said he heard that on the radio that pastors get free dinner. Uh, well, anyways, at the end of the evening, this kid from our church, uh, a, a young man, walks up and he stands in front of me and he looks at me. He's going to say something, but he doesn't say it. He, 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 gets, he starts to say something, but he doesn't say it. And so he leans over to his grandma, who was there with her, and whispers something in her ear. And she looks at me and she says, He wants me to say this to you. You're a piece of work, Pastor Paul. <laughs> Isn't that great? Okay, because you, you are a piece of God's work, His handiwork. You are His masterpiece. You are His workmanship. Would you do me a favor? Would you do it again? Would you do it again? Just stand up for a second and just look at the people around you and remind them that you are a piece of work. You can be seated. But we forget that all the time. We do. We forget that we are the handiwork of God. We forget that we're the masterpiece of God. We forget that God has made us and we are his workmanship. We forget that all the time or often. And we end up thinking we're doing these things on our own, that we're somehow creating our own reality, that somehow, somehow, that here's what happens with many of us. We start to get all in on ourselves And we forget that God, when he saves us, when he molds us, when he shapes us, he's calling us to love him and to love others. That something about the presence of Jesus in us will create in us something new. When you look at the world, are you stunned by the division and the separation and the alienation that even in the church I, if, if I, like, I think I would say out loud that there seems to be some kind of spiritual forces working against us. Some kind of darkness, some kind of work of an enemy that's trying to create and, and help us live according to the cravings of the flesh, as it talks about in the first part of chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians, somehow trying to create this division, this, this, we can't quite get along. Social media, and I spend a fair amount of time there, and it's, it's people, little people trying to put together big messages that they hope will somehow do something, it seems, and, and basically what it displays over and over and over and over and over and over again, is that in and of ourselves, we are powerless to genuinely affect change in the world. Oh, we, we can do human things and, and improve this or improve that, but, but to, to create genuine change in the world, we're powerless. But we're going to read a passage that's going to speak about God. Obviously, that's that that that's what I'm going to talk about, right? God and Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus and how how when He enters into our lives, when He enters into our culture, when He enters into our community, that dividing walls can fall down. 
that hostilities can be tamed. That there can be something about the work of Christ that can transform. Something about, and I'm going to use this word that, that's used in the passage, something about the blood of Christ that brings hope. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. God, I pray that you would speak. That you would speak to the glory of your name and for the sake of your kingdom. God, that you would do the amazing. That you would remind us of the hope that's found in your son, Jesus. Amen. We're going to start reading in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. At which we talked about last week, and which I just want to read again, just because I love it so so much. And then I'm going to read down uh, to verse the end of verse 14. Could we stand in honor of God as we read His Word? The Apostle Paul here, just for clarity, is writing to people who have relationship with Jesus Christ. For those of us here who have relationship with Jesus Christ, this is true of us. For those of us who are thinking about maybe we someday might want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this could be true of us. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good, good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, now, now here's a little tip in Bible study. Therefore, you, you always got to ask, what's the there for Therefore, why is it there? What's the therefore? Therefore, he says, because of all that I've said, because of all of the blessings that God has poured on your life, mentioned in Ephesians chapter one, because of the forgiveness, because of the fact that you're chosen, because of the fact that you're holy and blameless, because of the fact that you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, guaranteeing an inheritance that is to come on the day of Christ Jesus, because of the fact that you were dead, but now you're alive, that, that, that because of the fact of but because of God's great, rich mercy and his love, because of those things, he says, because of what's true in Christ, therefore remember, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and it destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility i'm gonna pray once more god i pray that you'd speak today that you would anoint this time with your holy spirit in jesus name amen you may be seated I want to give us three words, three, three, three basic words. The first word is this. It's the word separated. It's the word separated. It, it, it's the word that, 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 that means estranged or excluded or alienated. There's two types of separation that are talked about in this passage. Separation from one another 
which we feel all around us, and separation from God, which many of us feel within us. Separation from one another and separation from God. The, 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 the one another separation, it's, it, it says that those that were called the uncircumcised, it was a pejorative word, right? The, the religious people of the day in Ephesus, the Jewish people, they, they were circumcised. If, if you don't know what that means, ask your neighbor, right? Uh, do it later. Uh, but they, they had this, this cutting done by human hands, but they, it caused them a sense of arrogance, this identifying marker that God had, had set them apart as his people, this identifying marker became something that they were proud of and arrogant about and referred to other people as the uncircumcised. We, if we had lived in this day, those of us who are not Jewish, would have been called the uncircumcised. It would be a pejorative phrase. It would be similar and akin to referring to the N-word with somebody. It was meant in complete derogatory, belittling, creating a, a sense of not belonging. And the Jewish people had forgotten that, that their role as God's chosen people was to love God and to love others and to be a blessing to everybody. They had thought, somehow thought that our relationship with God, our, our knowledge of God, our, the promises of God in us is meant, they, they, they used that to pull themselves away from other people and to belittle and to shame and to, to leave people on the outside. When Paul refers to them, he's referring to them in a way that, that they were reminded of instantly, those that weren't Jews, because they were treated so unkindly. It brought up emotion in them. He says, remember, you were formerly the uncircumcised, that you were outside. William Barclay, who's a preacher, says this, the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said that the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. Can you imagine being a person who is in relationship with God and loves God and thinking like that? Like thinking like this whole other race of people. The whole purpose for them is to be kindling in the fires of God's hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he has made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother while she was giving birth, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. But here's what's interesting. As hateful and hurtful and awful as that sounds, I feel like we do that today even some of us who are Christ followers. We listen to people talk. And we start to do check marks in our brain about where they're from. What, we do, hey, what radio station do you listen to? And if they say that station, you do a little check marking. Oh, yeah. What TV station? Where do you get your news? And we start to build up in our hearts and minds, many of us, these barriers of contempt, separation, and alienation. We start to mark them out and begin to distance ourselves rather than use those differences as a reason to love and to care for deeply like Jesus would. We look for the telltale signs. 
of whether or not we will truly love them. That's what the Jewish people were doing with the Gentile people. They had this wall of hostility. It was horrible. And it is today as well. When we, in our context, Christ followers, find reason to distance ourselves because of race or politics or economics or stance about the mask or no mask, the vaccine or no vaccine. We do all these things and we look like, oh my goodness. Separation. Here's the second separation. It says alienation from God. Listen to this from Colossians chapter 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith. The Apostle Paul is talking about this sense that some of us have and and many outside of the church have this, this deep hole in their heart, this angst in them that feels, that acknowledges, that knows in their mind, I am separated from God. I want maybe, I I want him, I want to know him, but I I feel alienated, I feel pushed out, and Paul stacks these words together. He says, without Christ, without citizenship, without covenants, without hope, without God. He's talking about those who, before they knew Jesus, experienced this sense of being without Christ, with no knowledge of the Messiah and the saving work of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Christ. Okay, I'm just going to pause for a second as I go through these. Think of your friends, your neighbors, your family, your your relatives, even maybe some of you. This is true of everybody who doesn't have Jesus Christ. They are without Christ. And if Christ, if his words are true, that I am the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father except by me, death, the end result of this passage is without hope. They're without citizenship. They do not, even though we want them to, even though we try to call everybody, we're all children of God. Right? We we say that. For from God's perspective, they are without citizenship in his family. They are without the covenants. They don't have the promises of God, the provision of God, the protection of God. They're without hope. There's nowhere, nowhere. All of the human effort, all the human endeavors, there's no hope just look at history i know i know humanity is amazing i kind of love being human but we don't make very much progress only we, we can live longer maybe we, when it comes to the human heart just watch the news lately at the posturing of nations and the anger and the instinctive mistrust of peoples without hope, without, without God. Standing outside, looking in. Paul's reminding the followers of Jesus Christ that that's, that's what, what your life was. When we hear that, we, we, we're reminded of those that we care about and we love. I, I, I'm reminded 
almost instantly when I read that passage of a, a trip of mine to Kenya. I was with Compassion International, and I was with my son, and we were in the uh, Donde, I think I'm saying that correctly, village at the Baptist church, surrounded by a fence. And the kids that were part of the program were in the fence celebrating and singing and dancing and praising God and eating food and hugging. And I had a migraine that day, so I was in the corner vomiting. (laughs) But it was a great, great celebration. But as I walked into the church, there's this little girl had gripped the bars of the fence. She had pressed her face through the bars watching. You could see it in her eyes. Longing. Emptiness. Craving. She didn't have someone that would help her in. Who would pay the cost. She was on the outside. Now, the completion of that story is one of the group sponsored her that day, but, but I just want you to think for a second. Maybe, maybe they don't look like they care. Maybe they have a heart that seems hardened to you, but they're standing, those without Christ, without hope, without God, without citizenship, without the promises. And we're on the inside of the fence. And the Apostle Paul says, Remember, and start to tear down the walls of division so that people can have Christ. Here's the second word. The first word was separation. The second word is blood. Blood, which, which is like a religious word that, that makes you want to like, ugh. Like, let's, let's, let, let's clean it up a little bit. Do we have to say blood? Right? L- listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been brought near by the blood, not, not just the death of Christ. That's, that's the way we'd like to clean up. Well, we're okay with Jesus dying for us, but do, do we have to talk about the blood? But, but here's the truth. The, it, the, the law has always required the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. It's never cha- changed. I, I, I remember thinking growing up that in the Old Testament, it's like people were supposed to obey the laws. And when they didn't obey the laws, they were to do sacrifices and stuff. But they were supposed to keep trying harder and harder and harder. And when it came to New Testament time, this is the way I used to think, that God looked and said, well, I just made it too hard for people. They can't do it, so I'll have Jesus come. It was like a concession. But that's not the way it is. All through the Old Testament, the laws, the commandments, are meant to point us to our inability, our powerlessness, our inability to make any change on our own. And the blood is meant to teach us how costly and how desperate we need forgiveness. That the only way for forgiveness, the only way for cleansing is through the blood of Christ. And if you, it's always been this way. And, and all of the Old Testament, all of the blood in the Old Testament is pointing to the someday Messiah. That's what Paul's teaches us, that we've been brought near by Christ. Matter of fact, I was listening to a sermon by Francis Chan, and, and he reminded me of things, like when you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? their, their first command, do not eat of the tree of the garden. And they ate of the tree. And what was the instinctive reaction? They discovered their nakedness and shame. And what did God do? 
What did God do? They had taken leaves and, and made clothing to cover their shame. All these attempts and they couldn't cover it. So God took animal skins and covered them. The shed blood of an animal. Not, not forgiving them through that blood, but a picture of what is to come. That, that someday, by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, when you look at Cain and Abel, Abel, that, that, that Cain and Abel, Cain brought this offering to God of fruits and vegetables. And we look at that and say, well, that seems so unfair. Cain tried really hard. He had to harvest that crop. He had to nurture that crop. It was all his human endeavor. But God had commanded a blood sacrifice, which Abel had done. And God received Abel's sacrifice, the sacrifice of blood. At the times of Moses, when the people were enslaved, the people of Israel were enslaved, and God said, I am going to take the firstborn in every household as payment for you going free. And I'm, and, and, but, but, but if you will trust me, if you'll have faith in me and sacrifice a lamb and take its blood and put it on the door frames of your home, and when you pass under the blood and I pass over the blood, you will go free. Forgiveness of sin, freedom has always been purchased with blood. In, in, in the Levitical system, the priestly system, the priest would come in and, and sacrifice a bull to cover, to care for his sins. The blood would flow. And then every Passover celebration, every year, all of the people of Israel would bring a lamb. Every family would bring a lamb and they would sacrifice that lamb. It says that there'd be so much blood that the Kidron Valley between, between the Mount of Olives and the temple would be filled and flowing with blood for a week. Gross! How horrible, how awful. The prophet Isaiah says this, pointing, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we were healed. We were all like sheep and have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. All of the blood of the Old Testament, all of the sacrifices which covered but didn't remove were pointing someday to the one who John the Baptist looked at and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And he pointed at Jesus. I wish I could say, yeah, it should have been a simpler death. I wish, I wish like, like God could have just said, oh, never mind. But, but the curse of sin is so powerful in humanity and so costly to remove that the only way to remove it, the only way to beget forgiveness was through the shedding of Christ's blood, the perfect lamb. Of God without sin. In, in, in Hebrews, 
it, it, it says this. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time the one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to make his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect. Listen to this. For by one sacrifice, by, by the one final sacrifice... He's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Verse 18 says this, And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Where your sins have been forgiven through the blood of Christ is costly and it's amazing and and horrifying. It reminds us that our sin isn't just a little thing. The forgiveness wrought by Christ is so costly, so powerful. Like when people say to me things like, well, I think there's many ways to God. Not if this is true. Because God has designed it that, that the only forgiveness for sin is through the shedding of perfect blood. You can argue with him about that. But it's a reminder of how costly and how impossible and powerless we are to effect it on our own. Sacrifice. Blood. Remember. Paul writes... Therefore, remember. Remember that the one sacrifice has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Remember that those who have been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no longer any sacrifice needed. Remember that formerly you were. You know what he's appealing to? For us to remember the old life before we knew Jesus. To remember what he's done so it affects your heart and the way you live. He's saying, if all of this is true, which it is, this ought to transform the way we exist. He said, don't forget I have three objects here that I have to help me remember. The first one, which is a Jewish thing. This is a mezuzah. A mezuzah is, is a piece of wood or metal or, or some kind of vessel, and on the inside, it contains some passages of Scripture. And, and a Jewish person will put it on the doorframe of their home. And if they're devout, what they'll do is they'll, they'll walk in and they'll touch it as a reminder. Inside here is the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter chapter 6 says, says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Remember, remember, remember to keep the love of God on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land and he swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you 
A land with large, flourishing cities you did not build? Houses filled with all kinds of goods, things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant? Then you will eat and are satisfied? Be careful that you do not forget the Lord, he says, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Be careful that you don't forget What's true of you because of Jesus? That by Tuesday afternoon you'll forget. What can you remember about his hand in your life? In in a moment, we're going to celebrate communion. I have a friend who carved this for me. This is a communion cup. I keep this in my office as a reminder. The red is bloodwood. The white is maple. On the bottom, he has etched Isaiah 1.18, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. That when we come together, we come together to remember the costly nature of our freedom, the blood of Jesus Christ. Not some random death but the death of the perfect Lamb of God. I mentioned three objects. The mezuzah for me, the communion cup for me. The third object is me or you. It's your testimony, your story of God's grace and God's mercy. The Apostle Paul says, therefore remember that formerly you were. He, he's saying, remember what it was like before you knew Jesus. Remember standing on the outside, looking in. Don't forget that. Let that motivate your prayers. Let that motivate your praise. Let that motivate your worship. Let that knowledge of what it was like to be on the outside looking in, motivate your interaction with those who don't know Jesus yet. But here's the thing for some of us. I don't mean this negative, I'm just just a challenge. When it says, therefore, remember formerly you were, some of us have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. There's no real formerly you were. You've pretty much stayed the same. There's been no transformation of your heart. No transformation of the way you live. No practical holiness. And so you formerly were. Maybe what God would say to you is, I want to remind you that you are my workmanship. You are my handiwork. You are my masterpiece. Let me have your life. Don't just take my forgiveness. Let me have your life. Let me mold you and shape you. Let me put you on the wheel and create something beautiful out of you. 
Let me carve you, sand you, polish you, and shape you. God, I yield to you all that I am and all that I have. I'm willing to do all that you ask of me, whatever it takes. I am your handiwork, your masterpiece, your workmanship. So what would it take for you to say again to him, I'm all in. Shape me and mold me. Jesus was with his disciples. He was preparing to shed his blood. They were celebrating the Passover meal, which was a reminder of the shedding of blood. And he took bread off the table. And we'll celebrate together in a moment, but let me set it up for us. He took bread off the table and he broke it. And it says that he passed it. And each one took a piece. For those of you who are online watching, I would encourage you to grab bread and some juice and participate with us if you're a follower of Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, even here, don't just do the ceremony. Wait till it has meaning. In the same way, he took a cup and he raised it up to his father and he asked his father to bless it. And he said, this cup is the new cup of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Let the knowledge of God's grace and mercy 